Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. All right, Sean, this thing on, we off and running? Yeah, it's working. Do your job. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is episode 59 of We Do Recover, and I have abducted this guy sitting next to me, Kevin Thacker. I abducted him from his family. He's he's uh, down here for the weekend in beautiful southern Utah. Uh, it sounds like he, his little girl had a softball tournament going on. So I literally, um, we're running a little bit late because I, I drove out to the softball field and abducted him from his family. I promised his lady, though, that I'd have him back at a decent time. And she told me she'd Venmo me to pay to babysit or something along those lines, right? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Truth. It's all true. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, thanks for coming on here, Kevin. Can't wait to get to your story. So before that, episode 59 is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one need help, give them a call. Check it out. Here's the number, 801-800-8142. Amazing facility. Give them a call. So we always start off with new and goods. Just kind of check in, warm up. What's new and good? What's going on in your world, Kevin? I don't have a ton that is new. My <laughs> my whole life is new, you know, in essence, um, since I started the journey into long-term recovery in October of 2014, everything is new. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, I do have some things that are routine. I do have some things that I do all the time. Um, you know, the majority of my life is based around my job, my family, my personal recovery, and finding a balance of all of those things. Um, there's a good majority of time where I'm a little bit out of balance one way or the other, and I get to recognize that and make changes. And we're going to dive into all of that. Yes. Talk to me about today, dude. But, I show, you say, meet me at the ball field. We got some, we got some good old fashioned American hot dogs, yes. right? Some nachos, right? We're yes, watching your yes. little girl play some softball. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about. So that's, that's the good. Yeah. That's, that's the good for me right there. That's kind of, um, what it's all about. You know, we've got. Uh, this this 11 year old little girl who lives and breathes softball That's everything so about it she loves it's her social life it's her home life it's her you know her friends are all rooted in this little intertwined world of 11 year old girls softball that I didn't knew existed <laughs> and it is a really cool thing you know we go out to the ballparks and uh, Michelle and I have a bunch of friends of the other parents and yeah. my little ones have friends with the siblings of the other players. And it's like this little softball family that we don't ever talk to or see or anything like that, except for, you know, a couple of weekends a month and sometimes during the week and we see them and we check in, we say hi, and then we go our separate ways and our, you know, sometimes our kids see each other at school and things like that, but that's the good. You know, I, I, I worked my butt off to get to a point where I am able to go with my family on the weekend, sit in a lawn chair, enjoy the weather, enjoy the company, um, and, and, and enjoy watching my kid do something that she enjoys. Yeah, man, I, you are a blessed guy. Like you really are. I just got a little glimpse of your life today and I appreciate you letting me share that. That was fun kind of sit down and enjoy the family with you. We got lucky because that was like two hours where my two youngest kids were pretty <laughs> chill. So you got a glimpse into the fun side. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool, man. All right, Sean Denovan, what's new and good? Um, after years of deciding what to do with my building of the house, I think, have I mentioned about building my house in Tokerville? Yeah, yeah. a couple times. Yeah, nail in the coffin. Not happening. What? So the new and good is that a decision has been made and we're not going to build. You picked a direction. You're moving in a direction. Picked a direction. It's going to cost way too much money. Hey, but I know land right now is super expensive, so you're going to be able exactly. to cash out. Exactly. So I'm going to be able to sell it, make a buttload of money, and buy a hot tub for my new house. You might be the smartest guy in Southern Utah Not right now. even close. <laughs> there is all the things working against me, but I'm like, you know what? I could probably make it work. I had all them. like, if this happens, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and by that point, I'm like, what's the point? Then I'm working three jobs to have a house that I can never live in. Yeah, so I get it. But a decision has been made, and that's where my new and good is. There you go. Beautiful. You can still come visit. Congratulations. Just a, a much smaller house. I'll take 10% of whatever the property sells for. 
It's like a convenience fee. It's a friend fee. It's help me out here. You're a business guy. It's a fee. There's yeah, it's nothing a fee. convenient about you. You guys are 25 <laughs> minutes late. Come on. That's true. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. You're all good. Love you, buddy. All right. So my new and good is I I, I got a lot of new and good. So I found out today actually that I have a deviated uh, septum. That's not good. So I have to have surgery, which. Uh, it's not good, but um, you're going to love it. I had it done like ten years ago, night and day. Really? Yeah. Well, I got to come up with four thousand dollars to pay the out of pocket before that, but one hundred percent worth it. But I know a guy that's selling some property, so maybe <laughs> I could get a loan. Listen to this. See how I rolled that into that? Listen, listen. That's <laughs> air going through both nostrils. I spent thirty-five years of my life not able to do that. No, forty, yeah, about forty years of my life yeah. not able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't breathe through my nose. You, you will. It, it will change, and it will change your voice. Well, hopefully, my voice will sound more like yours. Mm, they get down there. <laughs> so, so, anyways, that that was interesting. Um, I'm not really sure why that. That's it's new. The good piece that's going on in my world is my buddy Jared Shaw. It's his 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Jared Shaw. Life in recovery has been so good to me. I know me and Kevin met about what a year ago, a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, and just today I got some really cool friends in recovery and like, I, I don't want to get emotional cause I'll turn into a ball baby on this thing, but like, it's just so cool to have connections with people and, and you know, some brothers that aren't, you know, brother from a different mother, but, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fun. So anyways, Jared Shaw, happy birthday, happy 40th man. And that's going to roll us into our second sponsorship mention. So recovery strong is all about fighting addiction, strengthening recovery while Sean pulls this up. Uh, go check them out. Go to recoverystrong.com because of Jared Shaw's birthday this weekend, they're doing 40% off. I'm going to include a link into this podcast. If you're watching on Facebook, if not go to recoverystrong.com. When you go to check out, put in promotion code over the hill 40 over the hill 40. Again, it's just today through Sunday to celebrate his birthday, 40% off your entire purchase. They got all kinds of good stuff on there. So thanks to those guys. We always appreciate our sponsors. Love them. Super high quality stuff. Hopefully you guys will go, go check that stuff out. So, all right, Kevin, I came across, oh, we got comments. You want to read some comments? I just noticed sellers. (laughs) Oh yeah. What is wrong with your mouth breathing? Mutants. Mutants. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, that's me. Happy birthday, Jared Shaw. Thanks. Thanks, Amber. Thanks, Siri, for writing in. Yeah, I wouldn't even have noticed if, if Kevin here wasn't distracted. Sean, do you have that picture that I found? So I want to talk to you for a sec about who's this guy, Kevin? Yes. Who who's tell me a little bit about this this guy right here. That guy is a picture of me getting booked into Salt Lake County Jail. And I don't know what year it was. I don't know how old I was. I don't remember the exact situation. Um, I know that a couple of years into my recovery, a few of us found some old booking pictures and we went online and found them. I found that one and it's kind of stuck around. I mean, I, I have it on my, I have it on my, my phone. You know, I send it to some people. I show some people I'm proud of, of the person I am today. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's occasionally hard to look at stuff like that. Um, but I look at that now and I can very much like see how lost and broken and lonely. And I I can see all the emotions that I remember feeling in those moments. Isn't that Uh, crazy? Oh, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, I feel bad for myself. You know, it, it's one of those things where I wish I could go back in time and give myself the information I have now earlier so I could have skipped some of the pain. But the pain is part of the story. The story is part of the process. The process is part of the journey. Um, and life goes on. You know, here I am. Like, I, I, ultimately, I can't change any of that stuff. And so, yeah, that that picture, I don't remember. I, I went to jail so many times um, throughout all of my struggles and, and my active addiction and, um you know, it, it, that picture is one of many. I love it, man. I just love that you have a visual representation. And for those of you that listen to this on a podcast platform, check it out on our Facebook page. We do recover with Jared Miller to see the picture. It is night and day, dude. I don't even recognize you in that thing. It's crazy. And, and check design. it out. So I, I, we have, we have some opinionated listeners and I love them. 
I love them. Uh, one thing that I, I, uh, a few weeks back was sent is, um, they would like to hear a little bit more about recovery, not so much the active addiction piece. And I love that you're on here today because your life in recovery is a pretty cool one and you do some pretty cool stuff. For those of you that don't know, Kevin Thacker is the general manager of Steps Recovery Centers, which you don't become the general manager of one of the biggest treatment centers in all of Utah by sitting around watching Hulu. You know what I'm saying? So, so he's got a great story, but first, obviously we want to do this from start to finish. Talk to me. What's going on in that kid's world? Where did this thing start for you? Oh man, this started, I mean, I mean, addiction started for me early. I, I got, I have so many aunts, uncles, parents, um, cousins, grandparents who have dabbled in and out of addiction, who struggle with mental health issues, who, um, you know, have. So in your family, it was a generational thing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, it was kind of what I was raised around. I was raised in a, in a household that, um, you know, some of our family parties got a little wild and crazy and out of control. And, um, you know, at the time I was, they, it was a shock and awe thing for me. Um, and then, you know, f- probably junior high, high school, it just went from a, a, a social thing where it was all experimentation, um, where we were dabbling in this, that, and the other, and it just, it sunk its claws into me unlike it did um my other friends meaning using and getting high and escaping my world took me out faster i was the first one who was willing to lie cheat and steal to continue it Mm. Um, and can i ask you a thing because uh, i don't mean to interrupt you but oftentimes when it's generational i found this kind of through working in you know working this thing. I'm a substance, substance abuse counselor. Right. And oftentimes when it's generational, it's very normal. Did you feel like it was just normal? Do you think maybe that's what kind of took you there faster? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, there was, there's definitely a part of that. Like it wasn't abnormal for somebody in my, you know, at the Christmas parties to be talking about one of our cousins who was in jail. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a, a, a semi-normal part of life for family members to be going to jail. You know, and so I got to see that. And so when it happened to me, it wasn't so out of the blue and out of shock. It was almost expected. Right. right. Um, and, you know, and then I just didn't get any better at it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it just kind of took me and, and I was. What age do you, do you really remember when you kind of started becoming more aggressive in your substance use? Like you said, you were lying, cheating, stealing younger than your friends were or oh, willing was, to. Oh yeah. It was ninth grade. Ninth, ninth grade, grade for me was a, a huge tipping year to where, um, I was all of a sudden willing to try anything. Didn't matter what it was or how much it was, or if anybody else had even done it before. Um, <laughs> and, and by that, I mean any sort of substances or any sort of, um, illegal slash criminal activity to try to, um, you know, get away with it. We were, we were committing crime for the point of committing crime at that point. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we were also cheating and stealing to support our habits. And so I was always willing to do essentially the dumbest. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I don't mean to laugh, Oh no! but tragedy plus time equals humor. Yes. We can look back today and go, man, we were knuckleheads. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we we're talking about my kid earlier when I was, you know, when I look at her at the age of 11, like I was really starting to spiral and getting, get into some trouble. You know, she's nothing like that. Yeah, she's an incredible pitcher. Oh, man, she's an incredible athlete. <laughs> she hit a home run. Yeah. And I went to one of her one games, and in her, the one game I went to, she cracked a home run. Yeah, yeah. So she's the best athlete So in the you've house. broken that generational that generational trend, man. You should be pretty proud of that. Yeah, and uh, Michelle and I talk about it all the time. Like, we, we want to break cycles. We want to break chains. We want to start our family, our traditions, our way of communicating fresh. You know, in our house, we talk about what's going on, like what's really going on. You know, what are the feelings that come with that stuff? And I think that's, yeah, that's great. I, more people should do that, right? Because that awareness really is what brings the change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Having those conversations. Totally. And it's, I mean, it's all fun and games until your kids are using it against you. <laughs> that's when you've gone too far. <laughs> all right. Let's dive kind of back into your story. So yeah. you're, you know, freshman year, ninth grade, dabbling and stuff. At what point did it kind of get? completely just out of control to where you ended up in the picture. I, I remember you saying you don't necessarily remember. Yeah, that that picture were, was but. probably in my early twenties. Um, but there were pictures just like that at 
the age of 16, you know, so when, when I was 16, that's when legal trouble started, you know, okay. that's when I started getting arrested. Um, I started getting some legal consequences. My grades were also slipping at the time. So I was getting into truancy issues at school, um, grade issues. Uh, I started really failing classes. I started flunking classes. I was doing a lot more, um, you know, leaving school for the day and trying to tell my parents I was at school and I just am not smart. And that's why my grades were so bad. And, <laughs> you know, that only works until the end of the term when they see all the zeros on your report yeah. cards that nothing was turned in. And so then that manipulation's over because the, yeah. Oh yeah. The proof's right there. And then you just take the punishment and you move on to the next one. <laughs> you know, it was awful. And I, I look at it now and I'm like, man, I mean, cause I was put in all of the programs. The school has, um, you know, programs sure. for kids who struggle with behavioral issues. And I was put in all of that stuff. And I look back now and not once did I ever consider like, maybe I should take something out of this. You know, maybe mm -hmm. I should use this to become a better person. My mindset at the time was, how do I get through this? Yeah. How do I get this behind me? Not because I want to learn anything, not because I want to change, but because I don't want this consequence anymore. And, you know, it was a, those kind of skewed, rational decisions that I would kind of make, thinking that they made sense that really, like, carried me through. And it got to a point um, where I was just going in and out of jail for the sake of, of you know, the, the next high or the next way to get high it yeah. was awful you know it's a it's a horrible pattern you, at that point you were totally powerless the powerless had set in oh yeah right like oh you, yeah your your brain's hijacked the only thing you can think about is survival basically yeah all right so at what point that's what active addiction looked like for you what was the thing you struggled with the most not that it really matters because it's all dopamine in the brain but um for me it was a lot of self-hate um, I, I really, from a young age, remember not liking myself. Um, and that was the thing that I first found drugs and alcohol to mask and cover was the self-hate that I, that I had for myself. And I didn't ever learn how to voice those things. I didn't ever learn how to communicate what was going on inside my head and my heart. Um, and so once I found alcohol and drugs, that was the first thing that, that learned to mask it. And so that was the, you know, that was also what I was holding down the whole time. Not an uncommon thing, theme on this podcast. Yes, I'm sure. A lot of people talk about either the anxiety piece or mm -hmm. the, the self-doubting, the self-hatred piece. So, okay, so so you're kind of going through the teenage thing in and out. Do you remember kind of what was the, the point where you were like, okay, something's got to change? What does that look like in your life? There were a few of those I thought along the way. You know, there were, walk us through that. There were, a, I, I've had more than a couple of times where I've been in either a treatment program or incarcerated and really convinced that I was going to get out and change my life um, because I didn't want to go back to that place anymore. Not because I wanted to change, but because I didn't want to go back to jail anymore. Because you didn't like the consequence. Exactly. Right. It's, there's a common theme of my <laughs> whole life. <laughs> And so, you know, there was a few points where I'm like, enough is enough, enough is enough. And then for me, there was a summer in 2014 where I convinced myself and I convinced my parents that if I moved to California to get clean, that I would, I would be able to start my life over. I had a friend in California who, in essence, told me that if I moved out there, um, I could detox on his floor, I could get a job and I could live out there, which sounds great. You know, I wanted to start my life over. That's all I ever wanted. Was hey, you were looking for a, fr a fresh start. Exactly. Exactly. Um, once again, I found out the problem was, is I needed to change some tough, some stuff internally first. Right. Absolutely. With the way that I behave, act, think, talk, um, almost everything. And so, you know, I went out to California and I did not make it very long. I, I had actually- What part of California? Uh, San Diego. Okay. Um, so I actually stole from the person that took me in. Oof. And then I didn't have a place to stay in California anymore. <laughs> they kicked you out. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally, as they should have. Right, yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I called my dad and I told some lies and I begged for a Greyhound ticket home and I rode that, the bus home and I remember riding that bus home thinking like, Something's got to give. I can't live like this anymore. You know, California really scared me. 
Um, the Greyhound really sucked. And gave you time to think. Yeah. And, and I didn't have any drugs and I didn't have any money. And I remember like being so convinced that the two days I spent on the Greyhound were going to be my first two days, two days clean. Mm -hmm. And I was excited about it until I got off the Greyhound and then my plans changed. <laughs> right. You know, and then I went back to what I knew. Um, I went back to the same environments with the same behaviors, with the same, same patterns of thinking. Um, and I got into the same situations. What do you think, like, what do you think it, it really takes to move somebody from that falling back onto the same behaviors into doing something different? Because obviously, in other words, you tried pulling a geographical, we call it. Mm -hmm. You tried changing your playground, which I'm a big fan of, to be honest. Yeah. Because I think it distances you from your connections. It distances you from that uh, euphoric recall. In other words, triggers. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, it's... What's your opinion on that? I think it can be a great addition to a plan. Okay. Um, my problem with it is I thought that the geographical change was all I needed to do. Okay. I was incredibly wrong. <laughs> um, you know, if I would have incorporated with some treatment, with some, um, you know, some medical follow-up, some, some medications and things like that, it, it could have helped me. Um, but for me, ultimately, I needed... You know, I got clean in the same environment that I used to get high in. Okay. And so, you know, the, the, the piece that got me clean was the doctors, the clinicians, um, the case management, you know, those things and ultimately sober living. And so. Ooh, you just hit on a big one of my belief. So I always ask questions that I have the answers yeah. to. I don't know if you know that. I mean, totally. <laughs> but a big thing that I think people miss is they don't look, you can change your geograph, right? You can change your ge geographical location. You can move, you can get into a new playground, but if you don't build a support network, if you don't have some kind of camaraderie, fellowship, community, you're bound it, to go. In my opinion, it's hard. It's hard to do it on your own. Like we need people sometimes to pull us out of the mud. I know this is a terrible comparison, but if I, if I'm out four wheeling, right? And I get myself stuck in the mud. I'm not going to be able to get myself up out of that mud. I'm going to have to call a friend. I'm going to have to call a tow truck. I'm going to have to call somebody else to come in, chain me up, pull me out. And I think that that in just kind of, in my opinion, that's a big piece that people are missing. I couldn't agree more. I think that treatment was great for me. I, I needed to do the therapy. I needed to that internal work. Yeah. The internal work. I needed to learn the structure but the, if I look back and, and, and I was to ask to name one decision that I made that was the most crucial or most valuable going to sober living was that decision mm. without what did that a doubt do for you. Um, it gave me everything that I needed that I didn't know I needed that I did not have or possess the ability to get on my own. Um, when I was done with treatment, I had one option of a place to go live and it was back at my mom's house in the same apartment complex that I had just stopped getting, um, you know, stopped getting high in, right. um, with all the same people. Um, and then some of the other clients started talking about sober living. I'd never heard of it. Uh, within a couple of weeks, I had a, a gentleman who came into the facility to meet with me. Uh, he did an interview and accepted me into the sober living program. I didn't know what I was getting into. I just heard people say it and they said it was good. Phenomenal. Had no clue. So I went, he dropped me off and I found a group of guys that I've grown close with and still, I mean, my, one of my best friends to this day is a guy that I met almost seven years ago in sober living. Um, you know, I developed bonds with those guys. I spent holidays with them. I did service with them. Um, I went to, you know, recovery-based functions with them. I, I experienced life sober in recovery for the first time, and, and they did too. You know, we went to movies, we went out to dinner. It was strictly the connection and the camaraderie piece that was supported by us and our willingness to carry each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what it was. It wasn't just friends. I knew how to make friends but I didn't know how to make positive friends who were going to hold me accountable, who were walking a similar path than I was. I love it, dude. I love it. So this has been fantastic. 
And I am su- super surprised that the first 25 minutes has almost flown by. Did you know that? We're, we're just Me about to part one. Yeah. You feeling a little bit less anxious? You oh, feeling yeah. a little settled in? I feel much better. Okay, yeah. sweet, sweet. So check it out. Uh, Kevin Thacker's come on here. He's kind of talked to us about life and active addiction. We're going to get back to his story, talk about his life in early recovery, and some of the cool stuff that he's doing today. We'll see you after this 30-second break. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. Yes, we are back. Episode 59, part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you're traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. Crazy good amenities. It's always fun to come to Southern Utah. We got some of the best hiking, some of the best outdoors rec stuff you're going to find anywhere, I would say, in America. I mean, we've got Zions in our backyard, dude. You know oh, what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Singular. Z- well, okay. Why did everybody else calls it Zions? Singular. Okay. Well, thank you, Sean Denman, for correcting me. Good to know. Uh, yeah. Check them out. Fantastic. So, in episode 59, Kevin Thacker's on here. We've kind of moved from his his life in active addiction and some childhood stuff. Crazy picture from the past, blast from the past. Yes. And now we're moving into my personal favorite part, early recovery. Let's talk about the solution, right? This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. So let's talk a little bit about that. You kind of ended on a big thing for you, which I totally agree with, is you had to change your social connections. You had to build camaraderies. What did that look like? Well, and one of the interesting things that that happened in sober living that I didn't even understand was happening at the time is I was learning to build healthy, positive relationships with men. I didn't know how to do that. Mm. Um, I knew how to have friends who I tried to impress at all times. And that's exhausting when you are constantly in your social circle or inside of your head wondering how do I impress these people at all times that that pride that ego what do I think you think about me exactly right for sure for sure exactly and and it gets exhausting and so I learned to have friends that didn't care about that stuff you know because it's really humbling to go into sober living when these guys are going out to movies and they're going out to dinner and they're going to play golf and they're going to do all these things and I'm 10 days out of treatment. I don't have a job. I don't have any money. I don't have any, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. And the invitation's constantly there. It's, Hey, do you want to come out here? You don't have to have money. That acceptance piece, Mm -hmm. the acceptance piece, because you are a fellow person in recovery and they're trying to help you out. Exactly. Love it. Exactly. And that was the stuff that, that kept me feeling grateful to Mm -hmm. be there. You know, it, it kept me in a mindset to where I felt like they wanted me here. Yeah. You felt a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if it was for just a, being authentically you, yeah, you it, didn't well, have to put exactly on this it. persona or this, right. You didn't have to act like a, anybody else, but, but who you genuinely were. Yeah. And they didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily like me for who I genuinely was. They liked me for the fact that I was broken. <laughs> I was lost and I was where they needed to, where they used to be. Right. You know, and, and so, so they tolerated you. For exactly. A while. Exactly. <laughs> Good for those. And guys, I'm grateful man. for that. And yeah. I mean, some of them still tolerate me. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Nice. Nice. So you do the sober living thing where you're doing outpatient because I, I think a lot of people, this is a big, uh, most people don't know this. I'll just mm-hmm. start there. There's levels to treatment. And oftentimes people think that going to treatment means you go to a 3.5 level of care, which is a in inpatient facility, RTC residential treatment center. And then once you're done, you're just done. And you touched on a huge, huge piece. If we follow evidence-based practice, 
it tells us the step down process gives our clients the optimal opportunity to hit long-term recovery as defined by 12 or longer, 12 months or longer clean abstinent, right? So there's detox for people that potentially could die if they try to detox on their buddy's floor out in San Diego. Not a good idea. Never a great idea. Nope. Then you move to residential treatment from there. If you're smart and you really want to increase your odds, you step down into sober living, even if you have an apartment, even if you have a place to go back to, because then it doesn't, again, it brings you into the recovery community. It pulls you into a, a fellowship, a friendship, a camaraderie, a bond. And then, especially for a lot of people, listen, anxiety is a huge piece of this thing, right? Would you agree, Kevin? Absolutely. Huge, especially social anxiety. Yes. It's hard enough when we struggle with, with ourselves, but then when we got to be around other people, whew, that's rough. But if I'm living in sober living, kind of like what you just shared on, and I go with a couple of my buddies from sober living, immediately I'm more comfortable walking into, you know what I mean, a recovery-based event. You're safer. Yeah, a fellowship, things like that, right? Heck, even the movies or golf or dinner, Yeah, right? Because oh, totally. you got your boys with you who are tolerating you. Yes. <laughs> so anyways, then it's PHP, partial hospitalization programming or program, which is basically 20 plus hours of treatment. It's basically a part-time job. Your job is to work on yourself. Yep. From there, step down to IOP, which is 10 plus hours. And again, all these different levels just depend on time and treatment, how much internal work you're doing. And then it's GOP, general outpatient. So those are the different levels for those of you that didn't know. I'm sorry if I'm turning this into a big bore fest, but it's important to know, right? It gives you the best chance possible at actually achieving that long-term recovery. Yes. Cool. So, so did you do the PHP? I did not. IOP? Um, I did not. Whew. So I have done IOP numerous times previous to, that was all okay. in the mindset of, I don't care and I don't want to change. Um, Fair enough. One of the reasons why I like my job is I'm able to educate on resources. Um, part of my problem after I did treatment and then I was, and then I went to sober living, the sober living that I went to had no um, IOP break off or anything like that. They didn't offer any sort of treatment. They didn't offer any aftercare? They didn't offer, nope, it was just a standalone sober living program. Huh, okay. Um, so I went there, none of the guys were in IOP, um, and I also didn't know where to go. Sure. Um, so I went to the the IOP that my, my therapist at residential recommended going to. Um, it was through the county, it was free, um, and I sat on a waiting list for a couple of weeks. So you were a Medicaid baby like me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> My guy. Yep. And, and you know, I, I'm very proud of being able to pull myself out of, um, you know, kind of. The odds were not in our favor. No. Right. Stacked against us. And yep. that's fine. That, that's great, great, man. Because every other guy out there who has a stacked deck, there's hope. Absolutely. There's help. And so. That's going to be the little nugget I pull out of this, just so you know. I'm. That works great for I'm me. I'm sorry, man. My brain's getting super distracted today. You're okay, good. So you're doing IOP. It's either that nugget or something else dumb, I say, <laughs> a little bit down the road. So we'll just save that one. And so, um, yeah, I didn't know what, resource, what resources were out there. I sat on a waiting list for a, for a couple of weeks, and then I stepped away from it. Okay. Um, but when I stepped away, I stepped away with a plan. Um, I called my therapist residential and I said, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about not sitting on the waiting list anymore and just jumping into 12 step recovery. Um, and she said, you know, it's your life. It's your plan. Um, you so can she make didn't, she didn't really feel cool about that. I mean, she didn't say no, but she said, make your own choices and know that you have support. Fantastic. Ultimately. You know what I love about that? I'm sorry. You're good. You involve somebody other than yourself. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things as a clinician is when somebody says, I've got a, I've got a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. And look, I realize it's their life. Okay. I get it. I get it. And maybe I'm a little codependent, but again, <laughs> your best thinking got you here. Yeah. We learned that, right? We learn in, in step, step three, you got to turn it over to a higher power or, oh, yeah. and sometimes your higher power is your Other therapist, people. your counselor, yeah, your sponsor, your right, um, your best thinking got you here. Yep. So I love. Thanks for sharing that. I don't mean to cut. I I oh, keep cutting fine. off. I apologize. You're fine. But I wanted to point that out. You involve somebody else. Yeah. Well, and that's and, one thing that I I've been taught and I utilize now. When I don't know the answer or anytime I'm thinking about making a big decision, I'm going to seek counsel of those wiser. That's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to have a community of people. Right? Yeah, mentors, Brainstorm that bad friends, boy. all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yep. It's probably why you're the general manager, man. 
because I know which people to ask the right Pretty questions to. Pretty good at pulling on resources. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that'll do it, dude. And, That's yep. the ticket. You ask me a question, and I'll tell you who's the person to ask that question to, depending <laughs> on what answer you want. I love it, man. Oh, I love man. it. Okay, so you've stepped into a fellowship. So, yeah, I stepped into to a 12-step recovery community and, um, and, and sober living and just kind of took off with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing a ton of recovery and recovery based things. So not just meetings, but all of the camp outs and all of the fundraisers. Um, I played a lot of sober softball, you know, I was just very heavily immersed in that community and I was working a, a, a construction plant job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I was going to do that forever and I was happy with that. But you jumped all in. Oh yeah. I you went didn't dip a toe. No, I went two feet. I, w- I was with guys in recovery doing recovery based stuff or going out to movies with groups of people every single night in recovery, in recovery. Yeah. Yep. It was completely. And it's because I didn't have, I mean, the, the selfish reason is I didn't have anything else to do. Mm. Um, I yeah. definitely didn't have a better option. Um, you know, I needed and wanted to feel socially connected and like I had friends and like I had some semblance of a purpose and it was recovery friends who taught me all of that. I love it, man. Listen, there's things I love and I hate about what you just shared. So three principles I'm trying to live by. And I got this actually off of a fantastic YouTube video that my buddy who's a therapist out in California, Max sent me. He's like, check this out. You got to watch it. Practice rigorous authenticity. So tell the truth, be authentic turn over the outcome. In other words, don't try to control it. And then number three is do uncomfortable work. So I'm going to practice rigorous honesty with you. The thing I love about that is that it's your story and you stuck true to it and you practiced honesty and rigorous authenticity. The thing I hate about it is now I'm going to have clients coming to me yes. that are listening to this thing and they're going to go, well, if Kevin Thacker didn't have to do PHP and IOP, I don't have to do PHP. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes. But no, but it's your story, man. And I'm just trying to be a goofball here. No, so and I love me. it. And I love it. And honestly, it, it kind of circles back to when we were talking about the, the jail picture. This is the information that if I could have given to my previous self, I would have, because I would have told myself to finish the, the treatment process because knowing now, if I knew then what I knew now, mm-hmm. I would give myself a, a different direction and it would be finished treatment. Um, because here I am seven years into my recovery and I'm still trying to find an individual therapist to go work with. Um, you know, I'll start with a therapist, I'll work with him for three months and then scheduling or insurance paneling or this, that, the other happens. And so, you know, I'm still in the, in the process of finding an individual therapist that I can work with Mm long-term, but treatment would have been three to six months worth of therapy that I could have got this stuff worked through and not had to worry about it now and just gotten a head start on it. And you touching on that piece right there is huge for me because listen, I'm not coming on here to pimp any kind of look, I get paid either way. I know that our owner, I know people are going to listen to this. So it's a fine. I'm going to practice rigorous authenticity. I get paid either way. No matter what decision my client makes, I get paid a salary either way. Here's why I believe it and why I push it so hard. You just touched on a huge piece. The reason I'm so hardcore about the step down process is because in my theory of how to treat and beat addiction, of course, it's biopsychosocial, spiritual, but also when we boil it down to just the essence, the bottom line, here's what it is for me. Time, structure, love, acceptance. Agreed. It's going to take time. Our brains, it takes a hundred days and Dr. Sellers isn't with us this week, but I'm sure he can attest to this. It takes a hundred days just for the neural pathways to, to basically come back and for our brain to start working properly again. So if you're stepping down after 30 days and you don't have structure and you don't have acceptance, people around you that accept you and people around you that are showing you love, it's harder. Statistically, I can show data on this. Statistically, you're less likely to make it. Yeah. Well, and that's that right there is why I push this so hard. And that's exactly it. Like, you know, you can ask the question, do you want to give yourself the best possible chance for this to work, stick and be a lifestyle for you long term? And if the it's answer like, to that is yes, then here's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, check it out, bro. I've got two surgeons. You need brain surgery. If not, you're going to die. This is a brain disease. Yeah. Okay. So, so hypothetically, I got, I got, I got two brain surgeons and you have to have a successful surgery. Uh, one of them is 3% successful stepping out of RTC and not doing any aftercare. 
So, so do you want a surgeon that's 3% successful or do you want a surgeon that's 40% successful? I'm taking the 40% all day long, every day, every time, especially because my life's on the line. Yeah. I don't want to die. <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit, uh, you know, over-exaggerated or whatever, the but that's worked. the, that's the, that's the gist of it. I got it. So early, so that's early recovery for you. Anything? I'm getting a little chatty. Anything no, you you're fine. Yeah. That? I mean, sober living was huge. I, I, I lived in sober living for a little over a year. I made lifelong friends there. I, you know, I still talk to a lot of those guys all the time. Um, and then I started working in treatment and I didn't, I, I, how long had that been? Mm, how long, how long? I was about a year, just under a year and a half clean when I started working in treatment. Okay. Um, I was still living in sober living. Uh, I moved out of sober living, moved into a room with a bunch of guys in recovery, moved into a house. Um, that was separate from, yep. yep. Just a, one guy owned the house and he rented out and he was in recovery and he rented out the rooms, rooms to other guys in recovery. And so it was like the next step down. You want to give him a shout out? He helped pull you out? No. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. There's an inside <laughs> joke to that. As I, I hope nobody listens to that. Yeah. Oh, um, and who was the, who? Who gave you the opportunity to work in treatment? Ryan Hymas. Ryan. Ryan. You had Ryan Hymas as a Ryan guest. Ryan Hymas has Love been a guest. Guy. He will tell you the story of the time he plucked me out of obscurity. Mm. Ryan Hymas heard me speak one time, came up to me afterwards and said, "Are you working?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, how many hours? And I told him, he's like, how many jobs? I said, two jobs, because I was working two jobs at the time. He goes, hustling. He goes, oh, perfect. I need to quit one of those jobs and come work for me. Ah, I love it, man. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> what, what do you do? Like, this sounds awesome. Tell me more. I can picture it in my head yep. right now. And he said, I run a treatment center, and I need people like you to come work for me. And I went, that was on a Saturday. I interviewed with him on a Tuesday, and I started working there Thursday and next week of the week after. And it was just after it was like a swing shift and graveyard shift. And I fell in love. Yeah. I, I loved working in treatment. I love people ask me what my favorite part about working in treatment is. And it's seeing parents who have children who get to see their parents with the, fir the for the first time with the light on, you know, with, with their the eyes lit up. Back on. Yep. Yep. And, and I love seeing the parents run up to their children. Um, that's, that's always my why, you know, why do you work in this field? It's to see those little interactions, you know, and you get to see a couple a year and you know, the rest of the months you just put up with whatever comes out of it because you know, those moments are still coming. And those are highlights. Exactly. Because guess what? It's not always that pretty and that beautiful. Yep. Right. If you've seen, uh, what is it? Three, three good days or four good days or whatever that show is Four good days, four good days. That that paints a pretty accurate Maybe picture three. of the powerlessness and unmanageability that, that families experience yeah. when they are, you know, trying to heal a loved one inside the comfort of their own home. It's a terrible idea, but, but yeah. Yeah. So that's a beautiful moment. That's and, a truly horrible idea. Yeah. I've done it. So shout out to a couple of the people. I realize I ask you guys to leave comments and then we get rock and rolling and I ignore them. I, I apologize. Amber, the work needs to be done every day. Our addiction is waiting for us to get comfortable and complacent. Absolutely. So true. Mama, enjoying the podcast. We love you. Terry Sellers, love that guy. Good stuff, guys. I wish I was there. We wish you were here too, buddy. Uh, so you talked about your first job, and that's the guy that got me my first job working as a tech. Part-time, weekends, transport, yep. foot in the door. Yep. But guess what? We, you love those people. Oh, yeah. Because that's a huge part of it, man. Well, it was huge. And I had more fun for a year working as a tech than I've ever had working another job. <laughs> I, I did not realize work could be that fun. Right. Um, there's a ton of tedious nightmarish type stuff that goes on where you don't understand. Cause I've also never worked, you know, at that point I'd never worked in a, you know, outside of a construction type field. Right. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of the, uh, working with other people, um, social skills. Yeah, yeah exactly. Today. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it was new, it was fast paced, it was fun, but I got to see the, I got to see the miracles of recovery. Um, I got to see the light come on. And doesn't that just strengthen your recovery so much? Oh yeah. For me, it does. You touched on two things for one, it was fun. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. You guys pay me to do this, man. I feel like that when I'm in my job, sometimes yeah. I have to like look around and be like, is, is this some kind of sick joke? Like I get to help people. Yeah. You're, you pay me to help people. It's fantastic. <laughs> right. It's cool though. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's a fun job. Yeah. You, well, don't, there can be some, there can be some hard days for sure. Oh, absolutely. But there, but 
but yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Well, I think the the biggest piece for me in, in thinking about that is, you know, when it comes down to it, like I'm not necessarily helping anybody. Like these people are helping themselves. I'm just, I stand correct being available. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying point. to make sure that this is working and that, it, you know, all of the tools that they're choosing to utilize are available and working and functioning properly at, at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I, and I didn't even connect that dot or think about it until speaking with a friend of mine who's a therapist a, a couple of weeks ago. He's, you know, I didn't help anybody. He's like, but I was around when a lot of people helped themselves. It was really powerful. And it was really cool for me to yeah. think about. Yeah, it's kind of that idea. Then I and I've said this to people before. When I feel like I'm trying to give them a kick in the butt or some motivation, a client, I can show you the staircase. If we're in the subways of life, right? If we're if we're down in the dumps, I can show you the staircase to get up back to the surface level. But you got to climb it. Exactly. You know what I mean? I can <laughs> I can be the guide, but you're going to have to put in the work. Well, that's exactly it. And you know, I'm not going to pull you up the stairs. We can't, but I'll go side by side with you yeah. every step of the way. I love it, man. So you've touched a little bit about life in recovery. So you gone from being this, this part time, part time tech worker. Yeah. Sitting here today. How did, how'd you do it, man? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the most honest question. Yeah. I love it. It, it. it really like the life that I'm in today, professional as a, a, a partner, as a fiance, as a dad, like, um, I don't know how I got here. God's good, um, man. I know for certain that I put in the work. Mm -hmm. I know without, without a doubt that the people surrounding me got me here. Um, but I really just put my head down and put one foot in front of the other. And when an opportunity presented itself, I walked through the door every single time. And I looked for the next opportunity. And when I didn't find one, I tried to create one. Um, That's powerful. Listen, oftentimes we're always saying, share this so that somebody, you know, who's struggling can get some help. I also think there are people out there that are in recovery that are struggling. And that's a beautiful message for people in early recovery. Put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Look for opportunities. When there aren't opportunities, try to create one. Yeah. Well, that was exactly it. And I had a lot of opportunities that I've had to way out and turned down over the years that would have really taken my life for a turn and taken me kind of out of this industry or out of this field or, you know, in another direction with it. And, you know, so when these other opportunities come up, you, you weigh them out and you make the best decision for yourself, your family and in, in what place that you are at. Um, and you know, the, the result of that is me sitting here, you know, the result of taking some opportunities and passing on some other ones. And, and, you know, I look at my life today and I'm, you know, I'm exactly where I want to be. I hope this is where I, where I'm supposed to be because it's where I want to be. Absolutely. And, and you figure if you can line those two things up, you're in a good spot. You've got to have a process though, Kevin, you've got to have some, like all successful people. I'm a book reader, right? Like, and, and you're, you're in the position you are now because of the 10,000 hours that you put in, right? There's a book out there. Oh, Phyllis Lane, I think is the author I'm blanking on it, but it's, it's called 10,000 hours. And basically the idea is it takes 10,000 hours to master anything. Yeah. So you have to have some kind of process to get you through those 10,000 hours. What does your process look like? Like give us a day in the light of Kevin. A uh, full day. I just kind of hold on and try not to let anything fall off. Okay. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, a, a full day for me, it, it, it starts off with self care. You know, okay. I, I, I know that my recovery is based around self care. Um, I know that, um, you know, I need to start the day in a good, positive manner. And, and so I start the day with music and exercise. Beautiful. Get up, go to the gym. Get up, go to the gym, get motivated. I'm able to kind of be in my zone. I'm able to listen to music that will help me um, kind of elevate my mood. Um, you so know, you I, mental prep and self-care yeah. for the rest of your exactly. day. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, and I go to the gym and I get my blood pumping and then I start my day that way. Um, you know, and it, typically that makes me hungry. So I'm able to start with a good meal right after that. That's the best part. And then I wake my kids up and all bets are off. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My kids are fun. You're blessed to be able to wake oh, those man, kids up. It's man. fun. It's fun. So I wake the kids up in the morning and, you know, we do the, the breakfast and hair and before <laughs> school craziness. And then, you know, one goes and one goes and one goes. 
Um, and then I go to work, you know, I go to work and, and I check in with people. Um, you know, I, I, I walk in and, and, you know, the first thing I try to do is go talk to everybody and just say hi to the people that are at the office of wherever I'm at for the day. Um, and then, you know, I go through, I have certain things that I'm over and that I audit and that I oversee. And so I make sure those are in place. I put out some fires and then I start working on, um, you know, upcoming projects and I chip away at those. Um, and then I go home, you know, I go home and we're back to life. You know, I've got, uh, my 11 year old who plays accelerated softball. She also plays club volleyball. My six year old plays basketball and my two year old, she's almost three is just a ball of energy. I can attest to that. Yeah. Yes, she is. And so, I mean, she's a super little kitty though, man. You're, Oh yeah. It's yeah. so fun. It's yeah. so she's crazy. adorable. We're standing in line and she's running, <laughs> running around me, running through me, laughing, going and playing on the, any, yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's awesome. Yep. And so that's, and, and, but that's my life. You know, my life is, is work. My life is my family. My life is my recovery and my journey and all these things. And they mesh and they overlapped. And at times they get messy. And at times they're just a beautiful, well-lit, laid out path. I love it, man. But it's time to get honest. And we only got 30 seconds here. How much of it is your lady though? 95%. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was just, just making oh, yeah. sure you're willing to get honest. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and the other f like 5% is mostly the kids too. <laughs> I love it, man. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Dude. And, and yeah, you're a great dude. Real inspiration. Thanks it. so much, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, check us out next week for episode 60. Please share. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.